You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Here's something everyone in my line of work fears. We're often in the position, all of us advice slingers, of telling people to break up with people. I even have a signature, you know, handle, an acronym, DTMFA. I just throw that at people. They know exactly what I mean by that. Dump the motherfucker already. Because people will write me and they'll, you know, unpack or they'll call and they'll unpack these terrible situations. The relationship is awful and unfulfilling and the person they're with is a jerk. And then they say, but I don't know what to do. And it's obvious what they need to do. And they need to dump the motherfucker already. And so you're in the position where you're constantly telling people to dump the motherfucker already. Uh, you have to actually put your thumb on the scales when you give an, write an advice column or do an advice show like this. Because if you're not careful, every letter and every call for weeks, months, years could be nothing but dump the motherfuckers already. So many people need that push. They, they need that permission. And they often come to me for it after they've already exhausted the patience and goodwill of all of their friends. They say, none of my friends will talk to me about my relationship anymore because their friends have been telling them to dump this motherfucker for so long. They're sick of it. They'll come to me and I'll say, dump the motherfucker already. And you worry, you know, that someday you're going to run into the motherfucker and, you know, I always want to say, dump the motherfucker already, but don't tell him that I told you to do that. Just do it of your own accord. Because you worry you're going to run into the motherfucker who got dumped and the person who dumped him said, Dan Savage told me to dump you and so I'm dumping you. And, you know, then they'll be mad at you forever. Potentially psychotically, angrily, violently mad at you forever. So I'm walking down the street and I'm in Los Angeles and somebody comes up to me on the street and says, you don't know me this guy, but you told my girlfriend to break up with me. And he had a bit of the, like, I, I call it kind of Simeon thing going where the shoulders are floating and the arms are straight down and the shoulders are rotating. Like at any moment I'm going to swing. And I was like, Oh, this is it. I'm finally going to get decked by one of these motherfuckers. I told somebody to dump. And I said, oh, did I? I tell a lot of people a lot of things. What happened? My girlfriend broke up with me and told me that she wrote to you. And I was like, oh, no, here it comes. And she wrote to you and you told her to break up with me. And I just wanted to say thank you. I was like, what? Wait, thank me? I, that's not – I laughed. That's not what I was expecting. I was expecting deck me at that moment, not thank me. And he's like, no, like I wanted the relationship to end for such a long time. But she was always so like – weird about about wanting to work on it and so i just started getting increased you know i was like kind of pushing her away and trying to be a dick so she'd want to break up with me and then two things that i've talked about came together in that moment sometimes you got to dump the motherfucker already and people who are afraid to break up with you and i think that was his problem he was afraid to break up with her for some reason will make themselves intolerable will become the motherfucker in the hopes that you will dump them so sometimes you got to like take the motherfucker at their Word with actions speaking louder than words. At their actions, you need to take them, not their words. Because they're acting like an asshole and they are begging you to break up with them. Not to fix it, not to work on it, but to dump the motherfucker already. So this is a guy who became a motherfucker in hopes that he would be dumped. And then he was. But still, despite his motherfuckery, she needed the push from me 
So shout out to that guy who now tells me he is a listener. After getting dumped and me being cited, he went and looked me up and saw my picture and then ran into me on the street in Los Angeles a few months later to say thank you. Not what I expected. I will still live in fear of that moment that someone initiates that conversation and it's not the thank you but the deck you. But at least in this instance, it was the thank you. And to that newish listener, his girlfriend dumped him because I told her to, which is what he wanted all along. You're welcome. Coming up on today's show, Sherman Alexi, author, award-winning author, literary light, high profile, writes for the New Yorker, National Book Award-winning literary star, demeans himself by coming on the Savage Lovecast and answering sex questions with me on the regular Savage Lovecast today, but also on the Magnum. Hi, Dan. A long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm a gay male here in Florida, and I, uh, I'd broken up with my, with my ex of four years, almost got married and everything with him. We broke up for a year, and we started speaking again. You know, we said that, you know, we're each other's, like, true love and everything like that. But I'm in a dilemma. He just told me that when we we we've been broken up for six months, he told me that, you know, he invited my little brother, who was also gay, over to his house, put his hand on his, you know, his uh, knee, and then started to basically get my little brother to have sex with him. And and they had sex. And, and I, I don't know, I, I feel kind of behind because I feel like I was always one of those I would watch those TV shows and just think to myself, you know, oh, why is that so bad? It's just like, it's like another trick, right? It's a, they're just a sibling. But I just, I, I don't know if now I want to be with him anymore. I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like the spitefulness is just so deep, you know? I don't know. I, I just can't imagine. I just, I feel so weirded out by it and kind of disgusted by it. And I never, I feel like, I never thought I'd be one to feel that way on something like this, being so liberal and saying, you know, you can sleep with whoever you want, you know, and I just feel weirded out by it. If I were in your shoes, I'd be squicked out too. I'd be a little weirded out by this. And I would also weigh in the balance how I felt about my ex, the guy that you were with for four years and apart from for six months, during which time he fucked your little brother. And then you got back together with so you could confess that you were one another's only true loves. What you need to get to the bottom of is what his motives were in hitting on your little brother and your little brother's frame of mind when he banged your ex-boyfriend. Like what were they both thinking? Were they both trying to put something over on you? Was it manipulative and creepy and retaliatory or was it just one of those things and they're both appropriately – embarrassed by it. If neither is appropriately embarrassed by it, if your ex isn't apologizing, if your little brother isn't a little squicked out by having in a biblical way uncovered your nakedness sort of bank shot, then maybe you shouldn't get back together with this guy because it could be the prologue for worse abuses, violations, lapses in judgment to come. But if in talking to your ex and potential future current, and your little brother, you deduced that this was a mistake, something they both felt weird about and regretted, and something you've been offered an apology for, even though technically you don't quite deserve one. You were single, he was single, your little brother was single. If all those things line up, maybe you should give your ex-boyfriend 
another chance. If those things don't line up, don't give your ex-boyfriend another chance. Hi, Dan. I'm a 22-year-old bisexual woman uh, living on the East Coast. Um, I have a question because I recently listened to an old podcast uh, from about a year ago where you had sex workers come on the show and answer questions. And there was a question from a man who was wondering whether or not to tell his girlfriend that he had seen a sex worker before they were together. And uh, it brought up a similar question that I've been having for myself in my relationship. I didn't go see a sex worker. I actually was a sex worker once. I had one uh, encounter where I met a man online with the intention of having him pay for sex. And I followed through and it was, I wouldn't say it was a great experience, but it wasn't a bad experience. Um, I have no regrets about it. And I just decided that it wasn't it wasn't for me. It wasn't something that I wanted to pursue right now in my life. But I'm wondering if that's different than his situation. If I'm under more of an obligation to disclose that to my current serious boyfriend. We've been together for about seven months now. And uh, I've, I've told him basically everything else that I've ever done. I, I did some webcam work. I told him about that. But I didn't tell him about this one encounter that happened over the summer before we were together. So I'm just wondering if you have any advice. Thanks. Listening to your call made me think of some more advice for the previous caller. One of the reasons, the previous caller, that your ex-boyfriend, potential future current boyfriend may have confessed this hookup with your little brother was because he figured you would find out at some point. And then it's not just the having done it that would be a problem, but also the deceit and not disclosing that to you before you guys got back together that could have been a problem. So he may have been wanting to get out in front of the scandal or not to compound that lapse in judgment or violation by then lying about it or you know, lying by omission about it, knowing full well that your brother being your brother, you would probably find out about it at some point. It would be this you know, landmine in your relationship that you would eventually step on and feel very violated, particularly if you had reinvested emotionally in your ex and gotten back together with him. So he told you. The reason your question, caller, current caller, lady caller, the reason that brought it up for me is because the thing that you, I think, have to factor in as you weigh whether to disclose this thing about your sexual history to your boyfriend are the odds that he's going to find out about it somehow. Seems to me that the odds are very, very slim. Probably unlikely that he will ever find out that you did this one crazy, less taking up professional sex work, more walk on the wild side, see what it's like to get paid for sex, adventure. You don't have to tell somebody that you're with absolutely everything you ever did sexually. Not a deposition. Full disclosure is not required. There are things you do need to disclose. Some for your own safety, but some you're obligated to disclose. Do you have crushing debt? Before someone marries you, they kind of need to know that. Do you have a sexually transmitted infection? Before someone is intimate with you, they kind of need to know that. That you did something impulsive, risky, fun, crazy, slightly dangerous, highly stigmatized once in your life just to fucking do it, just to see what it was like and you're never going to do it again and they're never going to find out about it, you don't need to disclose that. That you can keep to yourself, that you can take to the grave, that can be yours. Hey Dan, uh, 33 single gay male in Colorado. Uh, I've been out for about 15 years now. 
Uh, I've noticed that as I've gotten older, I really get off to watching straight and bi porn. I had a girlfriend in high school and we slept together a few times. I'm now wanting to possibly sleep with a female. There would have to be a male involved. And I guess my question to you is, is this weird that I'm having this inclination uh, this late? And where would I go about trying to find a couple who would be interested or willing to do something like this? Is this weird? Is this desire to have a three-way with a man and a woman and sex with the woman weird considering that you've been out and gay, uh, identified, for more than a decade? Uh, weird. Define weird. Is it not normal? I guess it's not normal, but who gives a shit? Variance is the norm when it comes to human sexuality. How best to understand yourself? Like you don't, You're not going to be disqualified from identifying as gay. There are a lot of people who round themselves – up to gay or down to straight who have some sort of place on the spectrum between gay and straight, right? Uh, how you identify is – I've always thought of it as a three-layer cake. There's who you want to do. That's one layer, what you want to do. Then the next layer is what you are doing and the top layer is what you tell people. And the more reflective uh, the top layer is of the middle layer is of the bottom layer, the less conflicted and fucked up and messed up a person you are, Right. If what you want is same-sex sex and what you're having is same-sex sex and what you're telling people is that you're straight, you're going to be – you're a closet case and a mess and a train wreck and a Ted Haggard, which is becoming a really dated reference. Go Google it if you don't know who Ted Haggard is. That said, you know there are people who primarily want one thing but around the edges, they have these more sort of amorphous desires or more expansive desires. But then there's what they're doing, which is exclusively all the thing that they primarily want to do. Right, but that, that's you. Like primarily, almost entirely, you want to do gay stuff with other men, and you romantically and sexually attracted to men. And around the edges, as you've discovered, you have these desires that sort of slop into, pardon me, fluid desires that r flow into, not slop into. It makes it sound like we're feeding pigs. That flow into, you know, technically heterosexual sex, penis and vagina. And then there's what you're doing, which has been gay all this time, and then what you tell people gay. And gay, what you tell people, that top layer, is really the most reflective of what you're doing and what you want. So you're not a conflicted mess if you tell people you're gay, considering particularly that your desire for having some heterosexual sex or experimenting with a woman exists in this context of another man being present. I mean, think about it. There are straight guys out there who want to have three ways or gangbangs with their girlfriends or with a woman uh, with other men present. Right, And that doesn't make them gay guys. When two straight guys have sex and their penises touch in the woman, double penetration, are they suddenly magically having a gay experience? Perhaps not. Not really. And there are guys who – straight guys who in the context of a three-way, straight identified guys, in the context of a three-way with another man and a woman may enjoy some incidental or not so incidental same-sex sex. But it's sort of flowing into this – heterosexual dynamic around the woman being central, right? It sounds like the presence of the other man for you is central and the woman is this fetish almost, kink, sideshow, uh, bonus, walk on the wild side, dangerous, exhilarating, not who you really are moment of bungee jumping, sexual bungee jumping and challenging yourself that you want to enjoy. Does that mean you're disqualified from identifying as gay or being gay? No, I don't think so. Some people might. We might hear from them later. You might hear from them if you tell friends about it. But I don't think so. Just as I don't think somebody who is 
50-50 bisexual and has an opposite sex partner and has been with that opposite sex partner exclusively their entire life and all of their sex has been opposite sex is required to identify as straight. They can identify as bi. I would encourage them to identify as bi. More bi people need to be out, even bi people who've never had a same-sex experience or relationship need to be out to destroy the stigma about and the invisibility of bi people everywhere, right? We don't say to those people, you're not really bi, or some people would, but I don't. You don't say to those people, you're not really bi. And we're not going to say to you, you're not really gay because you want to dip your dick into a vagina once or twice in your life to take a walk on the wild side. And again, in this context of sex with you and another dude and her, that's adventurous. That's homo flexible. Just like some guys are heteroflexible where they want to have that guy, guy, girl three way and bump dicks or even maybe put a dick in their mouth for a second. Think of the straight guys who are cuckolds who are in these relationships with women where they will help prep the guy who's going to fuck the wife. They will help him get erect or suck him off for a second before he goes into the wife. And there is some homoeroticism, obviously, and some same-sex desire there, but flowing toward a heterosexual act. And you have some opposite-sex desire here flowing toward a homosexual encounter. Blah-dee, 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 blah. A lot of talk to preserve your gay identity. You're welcome. Uh, how do you find this? Where do you find a couple willing to do this? On the internet. Good luck. Hi, Dan. First of all, I'm 29. I am bi, and I live in a medium-sized Midwest town. I'm married, and we've been together for 10 years, married for four. We've always been very open and GGG with each other, and we sort of had an open relationship all along. A couple years into our relationship, he told me that he likes to cross-dress. Uh, it's mainly a bedroom thing for him. He's super manly and it would never be, he would never be passable. We tried it a couple times. It's not for me. Uh, I'm also into some BDSM that he's not into. Basically, we're both submissive and it just doesn't work that way. So we're free to explore our own avenues. Um, a couple years later, we've talked about it ongoing, but we've developed into more of a polyamorous relationship in that we feel like it's more responsible for us to be emotionally connected to people as well instead of just fucking. I helped him set up a set life profile so that he could find people that he was interested in that were maybe transgender or other cross-dressers. And I have, now I have a boyfriend. They've met several times. Um, everything is good there. But my husband told me the other night that the woman that he's been seeing for the last couple months is a tranny. Those are his words, not mine. My first response was like, uh, isn't that an offensive term? And I looked at her felt life profile and there are well over a thousand pictures on there. One of them or several of them, I should say, are clearly my husband's cock. And I'm squicked out and I don't know what to do about it. I'm like, I'm scared to talk to my husband because I certainly don't feel like he's doing anything wrong. Like we've talked about this. It, we agreed on it. But now that it's come down to it and I've seen photographic evidence, I'm grossed out and I don't know what to do because I feel like I'm being an asshole and I need help trying to figure out how to feel about it and how to talk to my husband about it because I don't want to be an asshole. Help? So you helped your husband set up a page on FetLife, I think you said, so he could find people that he was attracted to, including trans people, uh, other cross-dressers like him, not saying other cross-dressers like trans people, trans people aren't cross-dressers, maybe other genderqueer people, androgynous people. And then he found someone 
on FetLife, which is a social media site for kinky people of all varieties where people post lots of pictures of their sexual escapades. That seems to be a thing for kinksters now. It didn't happen if you didn't post pictures of it on your FetLife profile or your recon profile or whatever. So I don't understand why this photo of your husband's cock uh, in play with uh, the woman he's seeing is such a problem for you. You have a boyfriend. He has a, a girlfriend, um, this, this woman he's hanging out with on the side, this trans woman. And that's not a problem. But the photograph is a problem, that there's a photo of your husband's penis. I don't – I'm trying to wrap my head around why that's such a – big issue, why that took you from fine with it, fine with him sleeping with other people, fine with him sleeping with uh, trans women, other cross-dressers, whatever, photographic evidence that you encountered on this website, not fine with it. There aren't pictures of his face out there, uh, theoretically. I'm sure if there was a picture of his face on that website, you would have mentioned that and freaked out about it. So all you have now is photographic evidence of something that you know to be true, that he's sleeping with a trans woman uh, and that it arouses him to do so. There's his big hard cock on her profile. The big hard cock on your lovely husband that you willingly, knowingly have shared with other people, other women, and you're just going to have to eat it. Not his big hard cock, uh, assuming uh, you guys still have a sexual connection. I hope you eat that every once in a while too. But you're going to have to eat your discomfort around this. That obviously there was some nerve that you didn't know was there that was still sensitive to him being with other people. And that photo sandpapered that nerve and that nerve is going to have to callous over and you're going to have to get over it. If the issue is discretion, if the issue is you worry that there are other photographs out there, what if he and this woman that he's seeing have some sort of falling out and they've been taking a bunch of pictures and there are pictures of him that she has control of that she could release, potentially embarrassing him or outing him. That's something you could talk to your husband about. I hope you're being discreet. I hope you're not being reckless there's a lot of revenge porn out there online. I don't want you to be subjected to that. That's another conversation around who's taking the pictures, who has control of them, who's deleting them. Are there any pictures of his whole body, his face that are floating around out there that could come back to haunt him? That's another conversation. But if it torments you to see these pictures, don't look at them. If this aspect of their connection that they want to post some photographic evidence of it bothers you, don't go to her FetLife profile page and dig through the galleries. That is also an option. And you can ask if it really bothers you and there's no getting past it. You can go to him and present it as slightly irrational, but please, uh, I'm sensitive to this in a way that I don't quite understand. Could you not do that again as a favor to me? And you'll likely to get a yes response if you present it to him as Right now, I'm kind of squicked out by this. It, it's I realize it's slightly irrational because everything basically is okay. Just this picture out there kind of bothers me for reasons I can't quite articulate. For now, can we have no more pictures? And if he's a loving husband and you're his primary partner and you put each other's emotional security first, that sometimes includes you know, prioritizing your partner's irrationalities. I mean like, okay, I get it. It bothers you. You're not faulting me. Right? You're not accusing me of anything. If I've done anything wrong, I just, you know, stepped on a little landmine that neither of us knew was there. And for the time being, I'm going to avoid stepping on that same landmine now that we know it's there. And then we'll revisit this down the road, maybe. That's part of being someone's loving partner, is sometimes accommodating their minor insecurities and irrationalities. He may be willing to do that for you. Hopefully, he's willing to do that for you. If not, you have the option of not returning to the 
online archive of photographs at the FetLife profile of the woman he's seeing. Hi, Dan. I accidentally stumbled upon my father's emails and found out that he has probably been having affairs over the years and lying about his trips that he's been taking and possibly even telling people that he has moved out of state to a home that he has that's supposed to be a family home. Anyway, I'm just really conflicted about whether to tell my mom. They have a sexless marriage probably and have been for a long time. And I know that he's been unhappy and probably has been seeking outside relationships to fulfill his needs. But I just feel like I don't know what to do. Keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. If you believe, uh, based on the evidence, that your parents' marriage is sexless and this is the workaround or accommodation that your parents have come to, whether they've articulated an explicit agreement or negotiated explicit agreement, your father getting sex outside the marriage may be what's saved your parents' marriage. Maybe that is the thing, the one thing that has allowed your parents to stay together. You don't describe your parents' marriage in any detail, but – If it is generally happy, if they are good together, good friends together, good parents and grandparents if you have kids together, if they financially couldn't divorce because they couldn't have two separate households, if your mother is dependent on your father or vice versa, maybe this was the least worst option. Maybe divorce would have been a disaster and this is – how do you describe it? This is a betrayal that – Averted a disaster? Series of betrayals that averted a disaster? Maybe your mother unfairly declared an end to your father's sex life. Because your mother just wasn't interested in sex. She cut him off, unilaterally declared their sex life to be over. Maybe your mother is having sex with people other than your father. Maybe your mother has a secret email account that you have not yet, quote-unquote, stumbled over. You don't know what's going on in the heart of your parents' marriage. And bursting in with this information could be handing something to your mother, forcing her to know something she can't unknow. Perhaps your mother is happy in this marriage because she assumes that it is sexless and that he is faithful to her in this sexlessness. But knowing for a fact, and maybe she suspects that he has sought outside sexual experiences, sought out other sex partners. But maybe knowing for a fact that he has would make it impossible for her to stay. Maybe the feeling that she would have of humiliation and embarrassment in knowing that you know that her husband has cheated on her would make it impossible for her to stay. And maybe staying is what she wants to do, as is often the case in a situation like this. Sometimes people don't want to know what their partners are up to. And being told is not always the most loving thing that you can do. Parents have been together a long time. Their marriage has been sexless a long time. Your father is doing what he needs to do to stay married and stay sane. And if you think that that's what's best for your mother, to stay married to your father, that this relationship in the final accounting, even with the cheating that you're now aware of, is better for your mom and better for the both of them than separation and divorce would be, keep your mouth fucking Shut. We love to have guest experts in all the time to help uh, answer your questions and we like to bring people in. Uh, Every once in a while we like to bring somebody in just because we want to have a conversation with that person and throw some of your questions at them because it's advice. 
And when you look up advice in the dictionary, it says opinion about what could or should be done. And any asshole can have an opinion about what you could or should do. And today's asshole joining us in the podcast zone, box booth, wherever the fuck we are, Sherman Alexi. He's uh, an author and a filmmaker. He's also won every award, the American Book Award, the National Book Award, the Penn Faulkner Award, eight collections of poetry, the novels, Reservation Blues, Indian Killer, the absolutely true story of part-time Indian, uh, the movies, Smoke Signals, Fancy Dancing, but your proudest achievement now, I really think this is it, the pinnacle of your career, your book, the award-winning absolutely true story of a part-time Indian, has topped the list of books that Americans most want banned. Your book is the number one book that Americans want to see removed from library shelves, pulled from English classes, heaped up in great piles and set alight. And what I love most is that they're trying to ban me mostly uh, because a teenage kid mentions that he likes masturbation three times. No way. Weird. What? That's well, – yeah, I know. The thing is before I wrote the book, I hadn't realized cultural differences. I hadn't realized that it's only teenage Democrats who masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy. Pull the book out of your kid's hand and put them back in front of the television set where they can watch American sitcoms where they're constantly making masturbation jokes. Exactly. Or or, or their damn phones. If you know, It's so quaint to ban a book now. when they're when, With their phones, they have access to every piece of perverted information no, ever perverted. Not just <laughs> – Access to images of people masturbating, but the ability to broadcast images of themselves masturbating. I mean, how Here, play with your iPad. How to's. I mean, in fact, and they start making stuff up. Uh, there's a woman in Georgia who insisted that my book contain blowjob lessons. Does it not? All no. my books do. And my books are banned. It confused me with you because we have the same birthday. But uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I can't. I can barely give my wife directions. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> how am I going to write a book for teenagers with directions? Oh, my God. All the time I hear from people who, you know, are, are wannabe writers and they're not published and they'll, they'll approach me on the street and ask how you get published. Uh, and, and so we're both published writers, published authors. And now I feel like I have to approach you. How do you get banned? <laughs> how do I do that? My books aren't banned. <laughs> Which is they don't teach you in do they teach you in high schools? I don't Maybe think they that, they don't even attempt to teach you in the high schools where you would become controversial. I that's think. true. And you haven't written specifically for the young adult market, which is something I think you should consider a a, a novel about Dan Savage's early years. I think would be damned amazing. There'd be masturbation on every other page. Exactly. Just and, just for verisimilitude, I think the book would have to come with every other page stuck together. <laughs> Well, no, no, like a handy wipe on yeah. every other page. <laughs> so we asked you on the show. I feel, we feel a little awkward about this. Uh, Nancy Hartunian, the tech-savvy at-risk youth and I, all of us together, we feel awkward about this because we asked you on the show uh, to just to sit in and take some calls and give some advice and have some fun. And then we got this call. And now it's going to look like we asked you on the show because we got this call. And we thought, oh, Indian. Uh, <laughs> but no, we asked you on the show because, oh, smart, funny, hilarious guy. Well, then, then the we stranger is notoriously anti-Indian. We are. Yes. I mean that that's we talk about that all the time really at, our, at our meetings every Tuesday night about how anti-Indian the stranger is. Really, <laughs> I wouldn't be. Everyone thinks the stranger's anti-everything. Uh, oh no, actually, I I can't think of a moment when you guys have anything but been massively pro-indigenous. Oh well, thank you. I can't. No, I don't think there's ever been a moment when you haven't been uh, all for us kicking ass on white people. Well, of course, we're, we're pro-Indian because we rely on you guys to tell our kids about masturbation and give them blowjob lessons. Well, it's a spiritual nature of masturbation and blowjob lessons. Burn some sage, yeah. wave it over it, your dick. Exactly. Get in the sweat lodge, get naked, throw some water and some hot stones and start sucking. So I apologize <laughs> in advance for this call. Okay. Here we go. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old uh, from the Mountain West with a quick question for you. 
So I grew up with sexual abuse and in college um, was pretty violently sexually assaulted. So now I'm out in the world. I was an atheist for a long time, um, but have recently come into some sort of spirituality. I don't know if it's necessarily God because I was raised Catholic and don't really buy into the Christian religion. I think it's great for those who do, but it just doesn't resonate with me. Anyway, Al-Anon um, has brought me to the sense of spirituality with a higher power. I've joined this Al-Anon group, um, and I go to groups meetings, and um, as kind of a spinoff from it, I've started doing uh, Native American type of spirituality. Um, it just really it speaks to me, this primordial connection to the earth. What is happening now is I um, am viewed as this Jezebel type character. Um, a lot of the women who meet me and come across me, like just think of me as Marilyn, that I have this like sexual energy that no one can avoid or resist. And it's really getting to me because I'm finding it really hard to make female friends, so much so that I've altered my appearance where I would, you know, wear a nice tailored outfit. I um, now try to wear like baggy or oversized clothes to kind of hide my physique. And I will even um, quit wearing makeup and just put my hair up, anything to desexualize me in these spiritual gatherings. And still, I'm being told that I need to, you know, keep my sexual power under control because I'm, you know, seeking out these men and I'm channeling them. Um, and I feel like if I was, you know, married, that this would be an issue because then I would be a tamed woman is the way that they allude it to be. Like if I was owned by a man, then he would be able to conquer that sexual power. And honestly, I just think that's fucking bullshit. Like as a strong, empowered woman who wants to dress the way that I want to dress, who is successful, I I don't think it's fair what they're doing to me. But at the same time, this is the first time in my life that I've had any sense of spirituality and that it, it's really helped me cope with my very, very, very severe depression. But I don't know what to do. I don't know how to react. I They say that I need to learn to control the sexual energy, but I have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Um, so I would just I would like your thoughts on, you know, what I should do. I know there's the, like, fuck them, do what you want, dress how you want, which is the approach that I kind of have been taking, but I just seem to be more and more ostracized for this sexual energy that I do not realize that I'm giving off. So if you could give me your thoughts, that would be great. So Sherman, how important a part of Native American spirituality and connecting with that primordial ooze is slut-shaming white girls? I can't I, – it doesn't even strike me as familiar that these are Indian people talking to her this way. Uh, so what I'm imagining is that she's in this Native gathering, Native spiritual gathering that's completely non-Native. Because slut-shaming is incredibly Christian. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds to me like she's completely uh, fallen in because of addiction patterns and because of life patterns and her Al-Anon patterns, that she's just fallen in with a bunch of uh, 
shamed ass broken Christians pretending that native spirituality is the answer. And then they end up being shamed ass broke Christians inside of this framework of native spirituality that has nothing to do with how we actually practice our religions. So speaking for all Native Americans, how do you feel about cracker ass white people embracing native spirituality, whatever that is. Well, the thing is, no matter what they call it, we always end up going back to the religions of our youth. We turn whatever religion we think we're practicing, we turn it into what we've been programmed to do. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, you know, one of my previous offices in Seattle was across the street from a hot yoga joint. And so they'd be in there for an hour and a half at a hundred billion degrees. And then these women would come out just wasted and exhausted, staggering out of the hot yoga place. And, I, and, and being a Catholic myself, I thought, oh, my God, that's a bunch of St. Francis martyred and throw yourself in the rose bushes shit. That's Christianity I'm looking at across uh-huh. the street. So uh, I think her phone call really highlights that, that. So what should she do? She should get the fuck away from these oh, people. No, why why do mean, you keep going back? Like that's Christianity right there. You keep like, going back. Back you to keep the pain. Going, yeah, she's there. You're getting flagellated in this room. Everyone's like beating you up, and you yeah. keep returning to, to this it. little faith community of shitty sex shaming, pseudo Native American ersatz spirituality shitbags. Why do you go back? It, it, it's addiction to assholes. That's why she's an, <laughs> yeah, I suffer from that. Yeah, well, you know, assholes of the metaphorical and physical variety. And and uh, she's just she, she's she's she's. She's not paying attention in her Al-Anon meetings, I think. I think she has hooked herself up with a bunch of manipulative assholes. And she needs to go elsewhere. And she needs to get out of there. And, and uh, I mean, even using the term Jezebel, she said Jezebel. <laughs> I mean, talk about being completely fucked up by Christianity that somebody would call themselves a Jezebel. I have a confession to make. My My older brother, who I hope does not listen to this podcast, or one of my older brothers – um, got married in a cornfield in Iowa uh-huh. and he has embraced Native American spirituality. <laughs> and so like a couple of white people getting married in a cornfield in Iowa who have embraced Native – it felt a little bit like you know having a big Jewish wedding in Poland. You know what I mean? Like oh. all, all the Poles are gone and we've – or all the Jews are gone and we've eradicated them. Now I'm embracing Judaism and like get under the little uh, canopy and having a wedding ceremony as my brother who is whiter than white, translucent like I am – is standing there in a Native American smock. We're, we're, we're colonized. We're the colonized people. So we're up for grabs with conservatives and liberals. The conservatives adopt the warrior bullshit stereotype about us being the ultimate cavalry of all time. And mm-hmm. then liberals adopt this notion that we're the most spiritual human beings of all time. But it's all related. It's the cultural genocide that comes after actual physical genocide. So if you had been at my brother's wedding, would you have ever stopped throwing up? Uh, I w- as soon as I saw, I would have been laughing. I would have been laughing at the wedding. I'd have been in the guy. I'd have, I would have started talking with my deep Indian voice. <laughs> and and then if somebody would have, you know, are there any objections? I would have said yes, there are from the back row. Several hundred thousand. Yes, you know, how about all the graves we're standing on? <laughs> my, the the best moment of the wedding was my brother came out in his Native American groom smock, which I've never seen before since. Yeah. Uh, and his best man, and we're Chicago Catholics, Irish, urban, uh, ethnic, uh, cops and firemen and printers. That's our family. So my brother's best man is this cop named Joe Stahula <laughs> who looks at Eddie in his Native American get up and goes, that's nice. That coming to men's? 
And it ruined the day for oh, Eddie. Oh, yes. See, I would have been with your, I would have been with the best man. <laughs> Joe and I would have been laughing in the corner at the reception. If you hear this, Eddie, I love you and I respect your um, brand new faith traditions. But it has nothing, it has, I mean, the thing is, people love to pretend that native spirituality is this free form uh, improvisational religion. Uh, and it's not. There are just as many rules inside of tribes and our religions and our cultures as any other culture. Being an Indian and being a spiritual eating is like living inside an Edith Wharton novel with better hair. <laughs> uh, uh, so well, I don't know. Those updos in the Edith Wharton novels are pretty amazing. <laughs> so so white people coming into native spirituality, they come into it like it's a supermarket and they're just walking around shopping. Well, that's how white people treat Christianity now. Yeah. So it, it's just, and basically the only part of the buffet they go to is I you have to heaping up on the hate the gay people, yeah. Not like any limitation on your own sexuality or sexual expression. You see all these like Bristol Palins of the world. I'm a good Christian because I hate you. I yeah. can have premarital sex. I can have babies out of wedlock. I can be a shitty person and get drunk and go to a party and throw throw a punch. Uh, and that's all fine with God because I I went to the I hate gay section of the buffet and I heaped my plate full of that. Yeah, and that's enough. And and well, let's not even get into how conservative. Native spiritual people can be, uh, you know, the most traditional Native Americans of the country are pretty ing- intermingled with the most traditional Christians. In my tribe, the Spokans, the most traditional Spokans are also the most traditional Christians. So uh, you're talking social conservatism. You're talking pro-military, pro-gun, all interblended with all the spirituality. So sounds awesome. Oh, I mean, it's one of the reasons I fled my reservation. Uh, it's like a little conservative Christian banana republic is what I fled. <laughs> Hi, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old gay male on the West Coast and have the following question. Do you think it's justified to skip my brother's wedding if he won't let me bring my boyfriend of almost four years? Here's the background. I came out to my family seven years ago, and it did not go well. My parents and my older brother refused to accept me, and they isolated me from everything I cared about and the people I love. The situation became so dire that it ultimately culminated into a suicide attempt, which thankfully did not end my life. Since then, I've grown, become happy, and I've repaired the relationship with my brother, and he and his fiancée even let me and my boyfriend stay at their place over the holidays recently. Everyone else in my extended family accepts me except for my parents. My parents refuse to acknowledge I even have a boyfriend, and they have vowed never to be in the same place as he would be, including any big family event, such as this wedding. Please also keep in mind that even though the rest of my family accepts me, None of them have ever really stood up for me, and I've always been forced to come home for holidays and family events and never bring my boyfriend. My so-called supportive family members have always just assumed I'd compromise and not bring my boyfriend home. This has been happening for years. So back to the current situation. My brother just told me he and his fiance are getting married in a year. And by the way, they've been together half as long as me and my boyfriend. And he's even asked me to be the best man. So it's really a two-part question. One when is the right time to even bring this up, bring up the fact that I'm not, if I'm even going to get a plus one? And two, if he does ask me not to bring my boyfriend in four years, do I have the right to skip his wedding, even if my entire family hates me slash calls me selfish for doing so? Dan, I'm sick of always compromising for everyone, everyone else's needs, and I'm sick of my family always valuing my relationship less than their comfort. So as a straight guy with all your tremendous straight privilege, what would you tell him to do? Oh, fuck your family. Uh... Fuck your boyfriend to hell with your family. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. Fuck your boyfriend happily and proudly. Uh, This is the gay version of what I see with all sorts of friends for all sorts of reasons. 
I don't understand why so many of my friends who have been tortured by their families for various reasons insist on going home year after year after year. You know, I've had friends, I have friends who, who from the week before Thanksgiving till the week after New Year's are uselessly crushed by post-traumatic stress syndrome as they have returned to the wonderful, loving bosom of their dysfunctional asshole families. And it's straight, gay, rich, poor, all colors, all cultures, atheists, religious. I, I you know, and I'm like, you don't have to go home. You don't have to go home. Yeah, shitty family after age 18 is opt-in. Yes. You don't have, have to, to go opt home. There's in. your new movement, Dan. You know, it gets better. The other one is you don't <laughs> have to go home. Hashtag, you know, right. you don't have to go home. So he's worried and some people in his position are worried that he doesn't want to be the perceived as or accused of being the bad guy. You're the guy already caused, the bad guy. Guy who caused conflict at the wedding, guy who upset mom and dad yeah. before their son's wedding. And so he's willing to endure this never-ending shitty treatment which is just background noise for everybody involved now like they don't perceive what's being done to him as bad because it's just the way it's always been and they can't even it's just the air but if he stands up for himself then he's causing trouble he's being the bad guy he's upsetting mom and dad and that's what you got to do and if i were your boyfriend he he mentions like having gone home in the past to past family and things without the if i were your boyfriend i'd be a little annoyed I at this point that you were choosing these people who treat you so badly over me. I'd be doing the plus minus. Who sucks your dick. Yeah, I'd be doing the plus minus with that kind of relationship. With somebody somebody choosing their asshole family over me. Right. So the call to make to your brother right now is I'm there if you stand up for me. I'm there for you if you're there for me with mom and dad. You ha I'm no longer coming to family events without my partner of four yeah. years yes. who I've known twice as long as you've known the woman you're marrying. And so it doesn't really need the comparison because who knows about – I mean because – Well, he mentioned that, that. I know, but he doesn't really need to say that. That's like saying – He doesn't need to say that but it could help him win the argument. Well, like you take this – I'm taking your relationship of two there, years seriously. You should take mine of four. four years, you should take mine of four days seriously. But yeah. certainly mine of four years – Seriously. As seriously as I take yours of two yes. years. I'm, I'm, coming to, I'm coming to honor and celebrate your love or are you going to honor and celebrate mine? And if they can't, don't go. Don't go. And this is somebody who obviously listens to the show. They can't call the show if they don't listen to the show. I'm sure you've heard yeah. me say this before. Your only leverage over your parents as an adult is your presence. Yeah. And if they can't treat you decently, if they can't love you and accept you, don't be present in their lives. And right now, you're allowing your parents to manipulate you, to edit you. They have these tantrums. They have these threats that have convinced you to keep the peace and not push the issue and not bring your boyfriend home. So your parents get everything they want, a son that – is gay that they can pretend isn't because they never have to look at his boyfriend. Yeah. And so it's working. The, 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 this lever, the, it's working for them. They're throwing this never-ending tantrum and it they will continue to throw it so long as it works. And you have to say to them, it's not going to work anymore. No. You can yeah. have me as the gay son and with my gay boyfriend or you cannot have me. And you, it's your choice. And you don't fucking need them. Make your own family. Find your own friends. And you do. And I'm sure he's surrounded by people who love him exactly for who he is. And then he – like you say about your friends who get dragged back between Thanksgiving and the week after. Dragged back yes. for those five weeks of fucking obligation and, and, are, and are flattened by it and shredded by it. And then they go back again. You don't have to go year back. Year after year, you can come to my house where, where I will mock you gently. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about my family is we can all take the piss out of each other. But it's, it's loving. It's loving. And, and, and it's, it's the same thing with Indians. 
Indians running around worrying constantly about what their grandma thinks. Mm -hmm. Their entire lives determined by what their grandma thinks, what their ancestors think, and 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 it, it's 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 always some form of conservatism. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm you know there were a lot of wise people in the past, but I'm I'm gonna take. All previous eras with a grain of salt because people died of fucking ear infections. <laughs> so I'm going to question the wisdom of an era where people died of fucking ear infections. I was just listening to a podcast where they were talking about people going from carving up cadavers in medical school to delivering babies. And they had a 30, 40 percent uh, death rate for these new mothers that they were sticking their hands into covered in cadaver, cadaver juice. juice. And it never occurred to them to wash their fucking hands. Not only that, but when somebody said, let's try an experiment where we all wash our fucking hands – and then go to the maternity ward, and the death rate plummeted to almost zero. Yeah. And then the doctors rejected it because they felt insulted by being told to wash, wash their, their hands. hands. And so they stopped washing their hands, and it went shot back up, and they kept not washing their hands. Yeah. Because women are expendable. Yes. So, no, don't go. Hi, Dan. Straight female from the Midwest calling. Me and my boyfriend have had they have been in a long-term relationship for three years now. We have a great sex life together, and sex is a major part of our relationship. I feel like it has brought us closer together and really solidified our relationship as a couple. However, in our religion, premarital sex is highly frowned upon. Not that that's a problem for us. We've chosen to disclose our sex life to a select few and keep this information from anyone who we would not approve of us. Here's my problem on the question, really. We're wanting to get married, and getting married through our church is the route we chose to take. One of the requirements in order for us to get married through our church is to not have sex, to stay abstinent for a year. My question to you is, how do we do that? Do you have any advice on how not to have sex? We've tried a lot of things, not being alone together, trying to go out together instead of staying home and hanging out. Setting boundaries like, okay, we can make out and fuck around, but we can't take our underwear off. Nothing sorts. We've had had periods of times where we've been able to go through a couple of months, but it always ends up the same way. One of us gets in, and it's usually me. I'm usually the one who will initiate, and it's not because I'm super horny or my desire for sex is through the roof, but because I feel like a bad girlfriend, because I'm not giving him sex. And because sex has been such a big part of our relationship for so long, it's the primary way we show our affection for each other. So do you have any advice for me on how to show my affection some other way and remain abstinent? I bet the sex is so much hotter now that they're not supposed to be having it. No, that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, I was thinking, oh, man, that's a perfect way for married people I mean, that, that that's a hot married thing. Yeah, you are not allowed to have sex for a year or yeah. God will cry. Yeah, I mean, the whole, oh, geez, pretending maybe the role-playing conservative Christianity <laughs> in a sex life. It's all role-play. She almost seems sincere, like she really wants, or she's bragging. I mean, she's calling, she's not going to get abstinence advice from me. So she's obviously not really seeking abstinence advice. She just wants to brag that her relationship with her boyfriend is so insanely, or her fiancé is so insanely sexy, they can't keep their hands off each other, they fuck like crazy. Even now, when they're not supposed to be fucking, they're still fucking. And they're going to keep fucking. And they should keep fucking. Yeah, and the I think the gesture toward abstinence before marriage, I think they're, the very nation, notion that they want to try and attempt it, that's good enough for me. You're supposed to abstain, but they yeah. didn't say what from, probably. Yeah. They probably just had it under – you could abstain from homosexual acts, yeah. the both of you, yes, until uh, you, the wedding. You can abstain from uh, uh, leather. 
Voting can, Republican. Yeah, you can uh, uh, abstain from adultery. You Chick can just fuck each other. You can no, no, <laughs> abstain no, from adultery. No, yeah. <laughs> no double penetration. You only have one guy anyway, so you're going to abstain from double penetration, which you can't actually do. I mean, so, so there's all sorts of ways. and You can set the rules for your purity. But also, and maybe I hope she doesn't feel conflicted about this. She is lying to her faith community leader, whether it's a bishop or a priest or whatever psychopath yeah. runs your church. Uh, but sometimes when you're locked in a room with a crazy person, you tell them what they want to hear so that they don't blow up at you. And there's nothing wrong with sometimes telling crazy people what they want to hear. Yeah, and, and if you're 16, 17 years old and you're sexually active and you're being responsible and you're using – birth control and your parents are psychotically obsessively invested in your virginity. I think it's a fine thing to tell your parents you are not sexually active yeah. to mollify them yes. and to tell your faith leaders or your family, if they're the ones who are really concerned about this period of abstinence that yes, we're being abstinent while he's blowing loads in all of your orifices and then you're <laughs> spitting them back into his mouth. That's fine. You're just telling the crazy person what they want to hear. Church of the snowball. <laughs> Hi, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old straight male in Houston. I've been dating my 27-year-old girlfriend for about eight months now, and our relationship has been open from its inception. It was my first foray into the quote-unquote ethical non-monogamy. I decided I would explore it with her, drawn in by the open openness, the honesty, communication, and variety it offered. That said, there's a firefighter at her work that she first mentioned a couple, go, a couple months ago to whom she's very attracted. They struck up a friendship of sorts. He apparently fits all her criteria, which are very narrow, except a major one. He's married, and not in the open marriage kind of way. She's getting frustrated with her lack of options right now. She's having kind of a hard time with uh, finding guys that she wants to date. And she's seriously considering starting a dialogue with this guy about taking things from flirtation to, let's face it, fucking. She first told me this by opening with, I'm probably going to make a bad decision soon. I mean, I haven't really decided yet but I probably will. I was shocked. One of the things I admire and strive for in this relationship model is for our par- all parties to be informed and consenting. It was on this framework, her framework, which I've begun to hold, build mine, and to hear her be so willing to discard it for a hot guy made me nearly literally sick. We thought about it, and I told her that I thought it was disrespectful to the guy's wife, and that in turn, I might lose a bit of respect for her, and that I thought it would change how I viewed her. I said that I loved her, but I could not condone support her if she actually followed through. She's really drawn to the fact that this relationship of sorts started organically, whereas ours and most of her others start online. She started your sometimes approval of cheating in order to save the other overall marriage or relationship, but I don't think the same sorts of extenuating circumstances could apply here. She expects that I should be there to support her, even if I or others may find her actions reckless or even reprehensible. What should I do or say? I can't make her not do or anything she decides to do. And it sounds like her mind is pretty made up. What happens if she follows through with this? So this is an eight-month eight month relationship, and she's already breaking the rules. Yeah. Looks that way. Yeah. I mean, regardless of the nature of the relationship, breaking some parameter eight months in. I'm she- but she just really wants to fuck this firefighter so badly that she wants to tear up and rewrite the rules. That so she wrote these rules about, you know, everything has to be on the up and up. We're not going to fuck anybody else who is lying to their partner. Yeah. And they wrote those rules and then she met a firefighter so hot that it was either the rule goes or the firefighter goes and she discarded the rule. <laughs> the rules. So I, I 
don't think this is anybody you want to be in a relationship with of any kind. Of well, it, you know, it does it does point to potential trouble down the road because if she's willing to tear up the rules when something hot comes along, what are your other rules? Yes, around safety, around whatever else. Caller that protect you or make you feel comfortable being in an open relationship. Physically, open relationship, emotionally, spiritually. I yeah. mean, yeah. What is she going to be doing later on? They only work if there's trust. And, and, and there's not a, a lot of trust if what you're witnessing early on uh, – and this is almost squeakier than she's going to fuck this guy's lying to his wife. Because I actually think there are circumstances under which people who are married and are not in open relationships can legitimately go out and cheat. So maybe he's in one of those circumstances. We don't know what his circumstance is, and I would like more information. Mm-hmm. If he's in a sexless marriage, but his wife is psychotic about you must be monogamous, I love that. You know, I don't ever want to have sex with you, but I insist on monogamy, which means – in that case, I think it should mean that you never don't have sex with anybody else. Yeah. Uh, you only – I only don't have sex with you, which means I can have sex with anybody else I want to. Right. That, it's like monogamy and sexlessness. That means I only don't have sex with you. But he may be in that kind of relationship. So they're extenuating circumstances that may make this okay, that he is cheating on his wife technically. But you'd have to run that to ground to figure that out. That would have to be a rule. And that would have to be a rule that was already established, that she's already broken. So the rule was they weren't going to be participating in those kind of affairs. And she's already breaking it. So, And I think that's a legitimate rule for people in open relationships to impose on each other because if your partner – let's say you're, you're together, you're married, you're in an open relationship. If your partner is fucking somebody else's spouse who's in a closed relationship and it comes out, that spouse could be so angry they create a lot of drama for you too. They it, don't just retaliate against their spouse but also against your spouse or your partner and they get in your face. Like what if that person shows up screaming and yelling on your front lawn? And it becomes dangerous – Right. Because you're not following – you don't know anybody else's rules or the way they're going to behave. Right. So you're, you have uh, some say, I, I think, in an open relationship over the people that your partner sleeps with because that could have repercussions for you too. And not just around safety but also around security. And, and you know, I'm not excusing violence if somebody finds out that their partner cheated on them. It's no, yeah. they, they don't get a pass to go be assholes to other people or, or be violent. But that is a, a potential outcome. And so if you live like a quiet suburban life and you are perceived to be monogamous by your neighbors and you're invested in being socially monogamous and all this. And then Isabella Rossellini shows up naked on your lawn. Dressed as a bug, <laughs> screaming yes, and yelling. Yes, then, then, you, then you're in trouble. But that, yeah, and the thing is we're still talking – this is eight months. Is there no honeymoon period even <laughs> for an open relationship? I mean so – I get in trouble there. Yeah. Sometimes I say that the, the open relationships that I see work are the ones that were closed for a long time either intentionally or just effortlessly. Yes. There's this long period of not fucking other people at the outset. I mean, isn't, isn't there pair bonding supposed to be happening? And isn't a stronger pair bond going to make an open relationship stronger? Perhaps. And maybe if you guys had been together longer, you would have a better handle on her uh, capacity for being honest and f- – following through with her commitments to you and other people before you agreed to open the relationship. Oh, and maybe down the road you would discover that, hey, this is something I can deal with and perhaps it's uh, – maybe he meets somebody in a similar situation and they both deal with it. So it just seems to me that this is this is like there's a new present that got opened and nobody has read the owner's manual. So you think he should pull the plug get out of this relationship? Eight months in? Eight months in in this happening? Get out of there. Hi, Dan. This is a 25-year-old girl and – I have been seeing a guy for about five months now, and um, everything's pretty great. Uh, But 
during in the bedroom, he tends to refer to himself as daddy or wants me to call him daddy or he calls me baby girl or things like that, which kind of threw me off at first. Um, I'm okay with it. It's just kind of weird. Is there any reason why guys like referring to themselves as that or is there like a inherent issue? Um, I know he's dated younger girls before his last girlfriend before me was 18 and he's 27. So I'm wondering if he might have some sort of complex or if there's anything to kind of be alarmed about. Well, my first instinct would would be to ask the caller about her body type uh, and the body types of this guy's previous uh, romantic relationships. So if they're sort of flat-chested, slim, prepubescent appearing, or, you know, in the right light, perhaps prepubescent appearing bodies, that might be concerning. Might might be concerning. Uh, I, I have a, a friend of mine who years ago was got a little intoxicated at a dinner and was ranting and raving because she's a, she was bisexual, but she was a very boyish woman and, mm-hmm. and she got pissed off because so many of the guys she ended up with would eventually flip her over uh and and an attempt anal and she was like you know if you want a boy just go get a boy i'm not a boy <laughs> so i you, wonder you know i look at pictures i've been with terry for 20 years i look at pictures of when we met when he was 23 and i yeah. was 30 and when he was 23 he looked like he was 14 uh-huh. he weighed like 40 pounds less than he does now he was a skinny little rail he looked like and so is that not okay? Was I was he supposed to not sleep with anybody until he aged out of his adolescent appearance? And and this but the thing is she was 18 the girlfriend he had. So does he have a type but that he's consciously or subconsciously aware that he's not going to take this type into mm. something illegal? Uh, but there are people out there who are attracted, uh, hebophile or whatever yeah. they're called, not pedophiles, people who are attracted to post pubescent, but still minors, right? Yeah. 14, 15, 16, uh, you know, the post on post pubescent at 14 can be up in the air, but 14, 15, 16 who are attracted to that type. And if they know themselves well enough to know that, you know, they're attracted to that type, if it was still Romeo and Juliet time, they might marry someone of that type and no, the culture would have no problem with that sexual relationship. We could still do that in freaking Afghanistan. But if that person knows themselves, male or female, well enough to go, you know, this isn't okay. And in our culture, in this area, at this time, this is not permissible and can be very destructive in part because we tell people it must always be experienced as destructive. So I'm not going to fuck 15-year-olds. Mm-hmm. But is it okay for me to find somebody who looks like they're 15, who's an adult, and fuck that person and take my can't-be-acted-on perhaps sort of type, ideal type, and find an appropriate can-be-acted-on? And by acted-on, I mean fuck the shit out of type. Is that okay or is that person never, ever supposed to have sex with anyone ever? Not the 15-year-old who's actually 15, not the 30-year-old who looks like they're 15. What do we tell those people? Kill yourself? Or you got to fuck, you got to fuck grandma to, to make amends <laughs> to do penance. You got to fuck somebody who's uh, yeah. so not your type that your dick falls. You off. stay legal and moral, right? Within the context. And, and so the question becomes for her, if this is true of him and we don't know, mm-hmm. uh, if the question is true of him, that he likes, that he has young fetishes and that he has father child fetishes. Is, is she going to be comfortable with this? Baby girl, baby girl thing, Daddy. and and 
It's weird. Gay people have a, a lot easier time with this. Like you hear a lot of people who identify in gay land as like daddies and boys. Yeah. And there's just this sense that this isn't about incest and it isn't about uh, inappropriate age differences in, in part because, you know, most gay people for who are out, it didn't like have children of their own. Uh, and so it's sort of, it's sort of stripped of the family shit yeah. of that whole family dynamic because for know generations of out gay men at least you didn't have kids so it didn't squick you out to like throw daddy and boy around and so is this squicky because of like the way straight people typically do have children and and they aren't able to tap into this sort of like daddy baby girl language without it being completely squicked out by incest or gender gender inequality stuff too i mean thinking i'm thinking about the women in my life the powerful women in my life i mean i suppose there's probably plenty of them who like being dominated. I don't know there are sex lives. I don't uh-huh. know that. Well, let's get them on the phone. Yeah. We but, can make out calls from the yeah, studio. Exactly. But I can't imagine – I'm thinking of people in particular. I can't imagine they're going to find anything erotic about their partner calling But some people do. Girl. You know, there's uh, age play books that have been written yeah. by the women who enjoy – this kind of age play with being treated as the baby girl and it's yeah. what they like. And what's exciting about it isn't I'm actually 11 years old. What's exciting about it is the idea of this innocence of being 11 years old and dragging it into this adult sexual world and how perverted and wrong and transgressive and taboo that is. Yeah. And our sex lives are full of things that are perverted and wrong and transgressive and taboo. You see people doing, you know, master slave stuff. What's more like taboo than actually than owning people, race yeah. stuff, Jews who fetishize Nazi imagery. Like it's all over our sex lives. We latch onto those things we fear most, some of us, and eroticize them and spit out as kinks. And, and is this something that we fear? We fear childhood sexual abuse. We fear mm-hmm. you know, uh, sexual exploitation within families, incest, rape. We fear all of that. Some people are going to spit that out as a kink. If they can compartmentalize it, just as you don't actually own people, you're not – no one's your slave mm-hmm. and you can play at it and enjoy it and then set it aside and go back to adult egalitarian, equal relationships – is it never okay? Is it not okay? Can it not be okay? Consenting adults, right? Uh, but it seems to me that this woman is not okay with it. She's not okay if it means he actually wants to fuck children. Yeah. Uh, so but what she, about you? What if what he means is he's like one of those guys who used to very unselfconsciously jack off to, uh, you know, Catholic, you know, schoolgirl, Catholic schoolgirl porn or yeah. cheerleader porn. And we didn't just have a problem with that. We do now. Yeah. And rightly so because we need to be more conscious of the sexual exploitation of minors and youth and children and all that. But most of those – I saw a lot of those videos when I was you know, in the 80s when I was a <laughs> child. And most of the people in those Catholic schoolgirl outfits looked like they were by parents' age. I mean – well, I mean – At the time. I mean, well, Britney Spears, that damn video she did. How old was she when she did that video? And I don't know, but she's fifty now. Yeah, I, I and I remember. I remember a friend of a friend was talking about their dream, their dream girls at this gathering, and he said Britney Spears, and he was like forty five years old at the time, and that video was what was playing everywhere. And I just remember I said to him, I said, I think you just revealed more about yourself than you probably <laughs> wanted to, because you've never revealed anything about yourself until this very. Are we moment. required to have our ideal? Uh, partner age along with us when you're 85 does your ideal partner have to be 75 i don't think your ideal partner stays consistent does it 
your dream partner? Does it stay consistent? Well, I don't know. I, I, my dream partner when I was 13 years old was Leif Garrett. Okay. And I've let go of that. You, well, I set that I don't aside. know. You've kind of married Leif Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, Terry has a Leif Garrett thing going on. But I haven't replaced him with a new Leif Garrett every okay. two years. I, I don't turn him in. Yeah, but he's radically changed himself. Yes, Terry. he is. He's totally different looking yeah, than he was. Yeah, so, I mean, he's probably going to do it again. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. So like you, I, I used to have, I used to have you know a, a teenage husband and now I have like a muscle guy. You, you, no, you have a ridiculously gorgeous, crazy. <laughs> he listens to the show. It's all going to go right to his head. Oh well, it's 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 intimidating. He's one of those kind of people you can't even look at in the eye. He's like a human solar eclipse. <laughs> you have to you, you have to build one of those cardboard boxes with the mirrors so you can actually look at his ass walking down the street. Otherwise, you go blind. I am a straight male from a major Midwestern city, big LGBT ally, and I was wondering if you could, I know you've done it a thousand times, but if you could give us the primer on how to deal with bigoted assholes, especially online, when they feel they can hide behind the guise of the internet uh, to post all this hateful, anti-gay marriage, anti-gay bullcrap. You know, I pose the questions like, well, what if only a a straight couple only had anal sex and never wanted to have kids. Are they living just as badly in sin as a gay couple are? Um, but go ahead and run us through that litany of questions to pull apart their logical fallacies and uh, show them what hypocritical ass cracks they really are. That's a pretty damn self-righteous phone call. There. Well, it's a, it's a tall order. We're going to spend the next six or seven days locked in this room pulling apart all the logical fallacies of the anti-gay right. Yeah. That's going to take some time. <laughs> yes. uh, I would encourage you not to necessarily feel like you have to engage with these people. You are an ally of the LGBT community. Thank you very much. Uh, the most important people uh, whose faces that you should be getting in are your own biological family members, your own flesh and blood. But like – dicky idiots online who are trying to get a rise out of you you don't have to engage with those out we've reached a tipping point we have the luxury now of not necessarily having to engage with those assholes we're winning and that there's like some douchebag online saying douchey things you can't let that derail your day i mean don't read the comments (laughs) don't read the comments I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that nobody of any political variety anywhere has ever said anything of any importance in the comments. <laughs> I disagree as a comment lurker myself. Uh, I know you're a lurker. You have, I, I know people who lurk on the Stranger blog. And I, I, I know, sometimes respond to them. And I know somebody who pretends to be four different people on your Stranger blog. Who's that? I'm not telling you that. Why? So, so. <laughs> yeah, the commenters are assholes. Or, no, they're not all assholes, but enough of them are assholes that you can say things it, like comments are assholes. It doesn't make it worth it for your personal health. Uh, I always say whenever anybody writes something for Slog for the first time or The Stranger, my, my home paper in Seattle, whenever somebody writes for the first time, my advice is always stay out of the comments. Don't get sucked into the comments. And people do. It can be really scalding that first time. As a public figure, oh, yeah. you I, get it on Twitter. Do you get right-wing Christians coming after you for your jack-off books, for your man, your blowjob manuals? Uh, uh, a, a little bit, but I don't respond. I, you know, the, the funny thing is people get after me on Twitter for not responding to them personally, for not having 
dialogues on Twitter that I'm just a monologue guy and a retweeter. Uh-huh. But people get mad at me because apparently there's some rules. About you're supposed to engage with you're people. You're supposed to engage with people. Well, I'm here from the future to tell you if you start engaging with people, you will get yelled at by those same people because if you have any sort of disagreement with them, then you're sicking your followers on them. Yeah. So if you don't respond, whatever it is they're yelling at you about, you obviously don't care about that issue enough to respond and that you will be faulted for that. And then when you do respond – you sicked your followers on them. You're abusing your power. You're disproportionate. You're punching down, abusing your power and your platform to destroy this person. You literally can't win. Say nothing. You're an asshole. Say something. You're an See, asshole. So I, I just go with say nothing. Everything I need to say, I said in the tweets. Uh, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm doing. And, and if I retweet something, I'm saying something. But otherwise, I'm not going to engage in dialogue because these are a bunch of strangers. Maybe that's why you're so prolific. Because you don't engage in those dialogues. You, I used to get so much more writing done back in the day when I didn't have to be trapped in this endless circle jerk with readers in comment threads, readers on Twitter, readers online. I, I would say that all, all your creative energy gets sucked into crafting the perfect into, I mean, response it's, it's to some It's a finite article. resource. Creative energy is a finite resource. And I think the same passion and energy that you put into online dialogues is the same passion and energy you could be putting into your books. That's really good advice. Somehow I've been immune to Facebook. I've never been interested. In I watch my husband sit on Facebook all day. Being I, I have like, no wow, clue you write for Mark Zuckerberg for free. I have no clue about Facebook, uh, why people do that. So let's bring it back to this, this, this straight guy, this champion of LGBT civil equality who is getting sucked into debates with other straight people and closet cases who hate themselves online. What should he do? Stay off, stay off the sites where you hear that crap. And don't respond to the hate. And you can't win an argument with a dishonest person. Like people who are throwing up these logical fallacies. Like yeah. only people who you – know, gay people shouldn't be able to get married because they can't have children. And you're like, well, 70-year-olds get married and they can't have children. And people who have their dick shot off in the war get married and they can't have – that's not a standard or criteria we apply to people who happen to be straight. And you can win the, each one of those arguments. But they're not making a sincere and honest argument. If they were, they wouldn't be making that argument. And they're not going to say, oh, you have changed my mind. That's the thing that kills me is, is when, I, when I make some crazy-ass left-wing – statement on twitter and somebody writes in that's not the way you're going to change minds what makes you think i'm trying to change anybody's mind what are you doing when you throw that mocking the shit out of assholes (laughs) (laughs) not engaging with assholes pointing at them and mocking them and walking exactly all i tell them now when i go to these things i just spoke at a community college here in seattle last week and i said you know you anti-gay rights folks you anti-gay marriage all you're guaranteeing is that your grandchildren are going to be really embarrassed to bring their friends around for the holidays (laughs) Because they're going to be, oh, no, you know, grandpa's homophobic is going to be the same thing as saying, oh, grandpa's a racist. It's the same thing, and it's going to happen in the same way. The next generation is going to be mortally embarrassed. In fact, I just tweeted this recently. I said, there's going to come a day when – much in the way conservatives like to pretend they were the leaders in civil rights. Oh, my God. Racial civil rights. There's going to come a time – Lincoln 10, was a Republican. Yeah, 20, 30 years from now where they're going to be claiming they led the way on gay rights. Oh, absolutely. And I can already feel it with a certain subset of younger, younger conservatives who are just boldly pro-gay rights. But I'm thinking, oh, you're the assholes who, when you're 60, are going to be on Fox News going, I remember when we led the way on gay marriage. We led the fight for gay marriage. Yeah. The libertarian conservatives leave me alone. Yeah, that is – I am looking forward to that because I am keeping notes. Yes, exactly. And, and screenshots. Screenshots. I'm going to bring back a 60-year-old screenshot on your ass, you libertarian hypocrite. Before we let you go, you have a podcast now and I am a subscriber – 
tell us about your podcast and where people can find it. Oh, it, it's called uh, A Tiny Sense of Accomplishment. I do it with my friend Jess Walter. It's on the Infinite Guest Network, infiniteguest.org. You do it once a week? You don't do it once a week, well, do We you? do it every other week, mm-hmm. vaguely. Uh, I'm ambivalent about it. So. This podcasting thing? The whole podcasting thing. It. It, it's more, it's just for me. It's just more of the libertarian plot to where we work our asses off and nobody pays me shit. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's basically tech people inv- inventing lots of ways to keep us on content creating hamster wheels that they profit from. And yeah, the only th- only people who profit off my podcast are the people whoever whatever giant ass corporation is storing the files. So why do you do it? It's it's really entertaining. I, I mean, I enjoy sitting with my friend Jess and and people enough people. And you talk are about listening. writing and, and literature. Yeah, you I, answer questions about. Yeah, you're like you're teasing us. You guys talk about punctuation. Yeah, I get to go on a podcast and talk about semicolons. The, the show you here, got, I talk on your podcast. I talk about colons. The show, <laughs> <laughs> the entire thing. No semi here. No half measures. The entire digestive tract. <laughs> Or both ends of it, but the far north and the far south. That's really all you can use. Um, the, the show you guys did where you talked about translations of your work, that was fascinating. Talking about the relationship that authors have with people who are translating their works into other languages that may not have the same similes or metaphors, the same ability to use the same sort of puns or references. It was just a fascinating conversation. It's not something I really ever thought about because nobody translates my books into anything. Yeah, well, we're 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 – we're still going. I don't know how lot much longer we'll go. It, well, it'll it'll be one of those. Uh, but what we have done is what we found out we've really liked is we do we've been doing live shows on stage performances, Jess and I together. Mm-hmm. We're really into that. We're doing one at Bumper Shoot. Uh, we're planning others. So I think the Bumper pod- Shoot's an arts event here in Seattle. Yeah, the podcast may become just staged shows, something that we do regularly. Well, that's great, and we'll people have should have listen to it. A tiny sense of accomplishment, which is my entire life. And your son came up with the name for that show. Yeah. I was sitting there fretting about titling it. And he said – he came up to me. He said, Dad, why don't you just name it like everything else in your life? A tiny sense of accomplishment. Did you point to the roof over his head and the the food on his plate and the clothes on his back at that moment and say, yeah. (laughs) Oh, he's – yeah. I accomplished all that today, motherfucker. But but, but, but the thing is, you know, I cannot – I cannot judge my son too harshly for questioning my authority figure status when I spend my entire career doing that. You know, so so when he when he when to he be comes, careful what you wish for. I know when he comes. You've after instilled me, in him. No, Damon Wayans years ago had a great bit about that stand-up comic. He said, "I can't really get after my son for being a smartass." Uh, you know, all I can really say is, son, you got to work on your timing. <laughs> <laughs> Sherman Alexi, check out his podcast, A Tiny Sense of Accomplishment. Check out his books, which are currently burning in huge piles outside high schools all over North America. In front of gleeful conservative Christians. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Dan. We don't have enough straight male voices on this show sometimes. <laughs> well, we we're, like we're to, an oppressed minority. We want this to be a safe space for you straight guys. Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying. Well, I, you know, you have naked women posters up here in the studio, which and is great. Gyrating half-naked tech savvy at rescue you, you them. Have, you, have a, you have enough straight women vaginas in the room for me to feel okay about this. Good. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about episode 445 and the woman who was concerned about cutting scars on her thighs. And the the advice you gave her was wonderful and beautiful. I just wanted to put out a, a, another option that she has, and that's tattoo work. Um, I actually have a friend who uh, was a, a self-cutter when he was young, and he's gone on uh, to cover those areas up with beautiful tattoo work. 
It's hot. It's sexy. It's beautiful. And it expresses who he is now. Hey, guys. This is a comment about 445 of the guy who worried about his tongue and jaw getting tired when he was going down on his girlfriend. I would like to say that sometimes leaving the area for a while and giving the clit a break, obviously it builds tension. And then if you come back, then it's that much better. But sometimes if you stay in one spot doing the same thing forever and ever, you can get kind of numb to it. So you want to trick it up. So taking a break is not only good for you, it's good for her too. There's one thing that I have learned, and that is when you're performing cunnilingus on a woman, you spell the alphabet with your tongue. This allows you to change it up, take breaks. It works every time. It really does uh, in all the right ways. I've been employing this technique for some years now uh, with tremendous success. Uh, I generally only get to about, oh, I don't know, S, R, or S before uh, it's over in a great way. Take care. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206 206- 201-2720. We've done the call for submissions for HumpFest 2015. Maybe you've heard us talking about the Hump Tour. If you would like to be a part of the Hump Fest, go to humptour.com and click on submit for more information about entering Hump. Follow me on Twitter at fake Dan Savage. Follow Sherman Alexi on Twitter at Sherman underscore Alexi. The Savage Lovecast is produced by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. 